Good morning. You can be seated. My name is Paul Percy. I am the family pastor here at Cross Point. And Bruce Garner, our senior pastor, is on vacation, spending some time with his parents. And so uh, he came to me. My guess is I was the last guy on the, on the totem pole. It's like, I'm the children's pastor. Let's go and see if he's available. And so <clears throat> here I am. So welcome. <laughs> uh, how was your guys' Thanksgiving? Did you guys have a good time? Yeah, yeah it was real nice. Nice and quiet, nice and mellow. Uh, I did all the cooking, but I love to cook. But I'll tell you a funny story. I, I always use my smoker and I smoke the turkey. And uh, this year, I usually get turkey breast because it just makes it easy. You know, it's like you don't have to deal with the carcass and all that nonsense. And I don't know how to carve a turkey. I always make my brother, my older brother do it. It's like, hey, carve it for me, please. And so this year, I'm, in, I'm searching for turkey breasts really, really hard to find. They're just not out there. I go to Smart and Final, and there's a the little butterball frozen ones. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess if I have to, I can get those. Put them in the cart, and I'm walking through the deli, and there's two turkey breasts sitting in the refrigerator section. I'm like, all right, I found them. Get them, excited. 8.30, Wednesday night. Take them out, get them prepared, and they're fully cooked. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. (laughs) This isn't going to be a good Thanksgiving at all. But I put them in, you have to heat them up anyway. So I went ahead and put them in the smoker and, and passed them off as the real thing. But <laughs> I learned my lesson. Um, but I'm really excited that, one, Thanksgiving's over. <laughs> and I'm really excited for Christmas. Doesn't The stage looks great. Doesn't it look great? And uh, <clears throat> one thing that I'm not crazy about, and I know that this is why we pay a lot of money to live here. I wasn't crazy about it being 85 degrees on Thanksgiving Day, where the windows are open and the doors open, and you're just like, so hot. I mean, this is the time of year that we should be able to wear our sweaters and scarves and all the money we invested in those clothes. But, um, but before we get any go any further, let's invite God to be part of this morning's service. So, would you pray with me, Father? We invite you here this morning, Lord. I ask that you would speak to us that you would use your word so that your kingdom will grow. We thank you, God, for the family and the friends and everyone that we spent these past few days with. We ask your blessing upon this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill our hearts. We invite you to speak to us today. And Lord, that we would walk out of here changed because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, as you can see, we're ready for Christmas. And for those of you that really know me, this is dangerous right here because I, I tend to fall and break stuff. And um, so I'm going to move this, if that's all right, because I move around a lot. And, um, <clears throat> but we're so excited, and we're excited at bringing hope to Crosspoint and bringing hope to our community We want to bring hope to Huntington Beach and to our surrounding areas. And as a pastor, it's my hope that each and every one of you would have a strong marriage, that each and every one of you 
would have children that grow up loving and knowing the Lord. It's my hope that you're obedient to God and that you follow what God has put in your heart and given the gift that he's given you and that you would be able to move past your hurts and past your suffering and past your past and that you'd be able to give that over to God so that God can use you for the future, that you would share Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, that you would share your heart and open up your heart to someone who doesn't know him so that they can get to know him. And if you're here today and you're lost, and we're going to talk about what that really means, but if you're here today and you're lost, it's my prayer and the prayer of every believer in this room that today's the day that you would cross over and that you would give your life to Jesus so that you could have eternal life. But what is hope? If you have your Bible, open up to Romans, or it's in, it's in your, your bulletin as well. But go ahead and open up your Bible to Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, he's talking to believers here. So this applies to every single person that has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege. Wow. Let me read that again. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege. We don't deserve this. This is something that God gives us for all those who believe. Where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And when we were utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time. And died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored... By the death of his son. We're friends with God because of what his son did on a cross. While we were still his enemies, God did that for us. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. If that's not hope, I don't know what is hope. That's hope right there. And there's so many great truths that we find in just this passage alone. Verse 1 shows us that we have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. 
because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Our our sin is no longer held against us. Our sin has been wiped away because of what Jesus has done. And I'm talking to believers in here. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, your sin has been wiped away. It's not held against you. It was nailed to a cross. And we can have peace in our relationship with God. Verse 2 shows us how we have access to God. Now, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the way they had access to God was to cleanse their sin is that they would bring an offering. Now, if you were really poor, it may just be two sparrows or two turtle doves. If you were wealthy, it could be an ox. It could be a cow, a bull. And they would bring these to, to the temple In the temple, they would take these and they would sacrifice these animals. And then the high priest was the only one that had access to God. And the high priest would speak on your behalf. And he would take this animal into the Holy of Holies. And he would put the animal on the the altar and he would offer it up to God. Now, the Holy Holies was was where the presence of God was. God was there. And if a high priest went in there with any kind of sin in his heart, any kind of wrong motive, he would drop dead. They would tie a rope around the high priest's leg. So if he dropped dead, they could pull him out. I mean, that's how serious this is. You did not have access to God. You had to go through the high priest. But listen to what Matthew says. Matthew is talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about how Jesus is arrested and Jesus is beaten and Jesus is hung on a cross. And then Jesus takes his last breath and he dies on that cross. In Matthew 27, 51, it says, and at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's important. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. You know, I went online last night to look up how big was this curtain and all this stuff. I had no idea. It's 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and it's not just a curtain. Not just a curtain. It was four inches thick, and it was torn from top to bottom. What does that represent? That's God showing us, you now have access. I have opened up the door that you can come directly to me. You don't need to do this. The ultimate sacrifice was Jesus dying on a cross for your sins, and now you have direct access to me. God tore that curtain, and he opened it up. So we have peace with God, we have access to God, and then we have hope. Verse 3 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anyone in here going through trials Anyone in here have problems? I know I do. You know, how many of you are into, up to debt and it's like to your eyeballs and you're thinking, wow, Christmas is right around the corner. How am I even going to afford to buy gifts for my children or my grandchildren? That's a good chunk of the people sitting in this room and the people that will be sitting in the room next, uh, next service. How many of you live on a fixed income and you struggle to make it from month to month? How are your kids? Are they walking with the Lord? How are your grandkids? Are they walking with the Lord? Anybody have trials? Anybody have problems? How many of us are just trying to keep our head afloat from day to day? But Paul tells us that we can rejoice 
We can rejoice in those things. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. And then he tells us why we can rejoice. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us. They help us. Think about that. They help us. So when you have a problem, you have a trial, and you're trying to figure it out, that's God moving in your life to help you to grow, to help you to to move past that, and to help you to build endurance, it says. It helps us to develop endurance. And then that endurance develops strength of character. Anybody want to have a strong character? I know that's something I strive for. I think I fail a lot, but I want to be that guy of character. And that character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Think about that. God loves us. And he allows us to go through these problems. He allows us to go through these trials. He has a purpose and a plan for those things. God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So as believers, we have hope. And this hope will not disappoint. One of the hottest movies right now in these past couple weeks especially is uh, Mockingjay. And Mockingjay is in the series of The Hunger Games. And if you've not seen The Hunger Games, um, let me give you a little background. Now, I'm not an expert on The Hunger Games. The Second Service could probably tell you a lot more about The Hunger Games because it's kind of a young people movie. And, uh, <clears throat> but it all begins with the original movie. And you have the world has become segregated into 13 different districts. And you have these 13 different districts of people And out of these 13 districts of people, they pick two people that are going to go to these games and they're going to battle it out amongst all the other districts. So you have 26 people now that are fighting each other and the last one surviving wins and now they become part of the privileged group. They become part of the capital and the privileged. And the worst part about this, the most disturbing thing, I don't like these movies, but they're fascinating. <laughs> I'm not a big movie guy, but they're fascinating to me. And, and uh, what disturbs me the most, what's horrifying to me, is children that are fighting. It's, it's little kids to young adults that are battling out to see who's going to win this game. And they, they bring in all these different elements to, to make it even harder. When they start to succeed, they'll bring in, you know, wolves to attack them or this fog that causes, you know, bleeding things all over their skin. This crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And the saddest part about this movie, I just watched the second, the third one's once in the theater. I watched the second one just last week. And that movie made me really sad because it's like there was no hope. For 75 years, they've been fighting this game, and people die. Children are being murdered, and there's no hope. But at the end of the movie, you see just a glimpse. You see just a glimpse of hope that things could change, that things could get better. Why are these movies so popular? Because it speaks to our heart. It speaks to our life because every one of us is looking for hope. Every one of us is looking for that day when things are going to get better. Even if things are going great right now, you know something's coming. You know it's going to come that's going to bring it down. 
So all of us are looking for that better day. We all want hope. People will go to war and, and, and sacrifice their own life to bring hope to others. Or hopefully to bring hope to themselves to have a better life. And God says, we now have hope. Last week, Pastor Bruce mentioned that only about 8% of Americans are true followers of Jesus Christ. That means 92% of Americans don't have faith. They don't have hope. They think they have hope, but what do they have hope in? They have hope in their stuff or in their religion. Hopefully my religion's the right one. Hopefully I pick the right thing and then I can get to heaven. Maybe. I grew up in religion. There was no guarantee you were going to get to heaven. Even if you did everything right, it was a maybe. But you know what God cares about? God cares about people. God cares about people. He wants a relationship with people. He doesn't want stuff. God doesn't want religion. He doesn't want rituals. God wants a relationship with his people. The book of Genesis tells us that God created us. It wasn't a big bang. It was a big God. God created us because he loves us. But people disobeyed God. And because of that disobedience, God allowed problems and trials to come into their life. And those problems and trials brought them to slavery. We see that in the book of Exodus. They were brought into slavery. And then God appeared to a man named Moses and said, Hey, Moses, I want you to go get my people. I've heard their cries for over 400 years. I want you to go get my people. And Moses starts arguing with God. And... I don't know, if God appeared to me in a burning bush, would I argue with God? I'm not sure. At the same time, Moses is talking to a burning bush. It's like, so it's like a little crazy, a little cray-cray on this side. But at the same time, it's God. It's God talking to him. And he's saying, I want you to go. And he's questioning God. And he's asking him all these different questions. And he's like, okay, so suppose I do go. And I do talk to the people. And I do share what you're telling me to share. Who do I say that sent me? What's your name, God? Tell me your name. And God says, I am who I am. Okay. First time I heard that, first time as a believer, I was a young adult, uh, I heard God's name is I am who I am. And my first thought was, I'm looking around the room to see if anybody else catches this. What the heck is God talking about? I have no clue what that means. Not a clue. And the person leading the study really didn't explain what that meant. I am who I am. The best explanation I think I have found, out, found for that is that God is, say, is saying, I will always be who I have always been, and that is a faithful, covenant, loving God. And I want you to go get my people. And God answers Moses, and he says, this is my name, my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Listen, God's an eternal God. You know, there's a popular verse at Christmas time, and I almost taught through this verse, and I thought, no, because everybody teaches through this verse. But there's a popular verse, Isaiah 9 6, that says, He will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
Why is that so popular at Christmas? Because it's talking about the Savior. Isaiah's talking about the coming Savior. He's talking about Jesus Christ. The reason that we did all of this is to celebrate the birth of the Savior. And he's describing him. He's saying, he's telling us that Jesus is coming, but who is Jesus? And in John chapter 8, Jesus starts arguing with the religious people, with the Pharisees, and they're arguing about who he is and and his relationship with God and where he came from. And Jesus is saying that uh, God is with me and I am with the Father. And Jesus says, tells them, you need to listen to your Father. And they get upset with Jesus, and they get full of pride, and they say that Father Abraham is our Father, And Jesus says, no, you're crazy. Father Abraham's not your father. Your father's the devil. And your father is the father of lies. And every time you speak, you speak lies from your father. And Jesus says, uh, then they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. They accuse him of being a demon-possessed Samaritan. That's the absolute worst thing that you could call somebody. You are a demon-possessed Samaritan. And Jesus says, I'm not demon-possessed. God honors me, and I honor him. I listen to his word. I obey his word. And then he says this in John eight fifty six: Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming, and he saw it with gladness. And then they start laughing at Jesus. They start saying he's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's not even 50 years old. How could he know who Jesus, or how could he know Abraham? He's not even 50 years old. But listen to this. Jesus says, Before Abraham was even born, I am. Don't miss this. Before Abraham is even born, I am. Jesus just claimed to be God. He claimed the deity of God. And how do we know that? Because the very next verse says they picked up stones to kill him because he claimed to be God. Don't miss this. In Exodus 3, God says, Moses, I want you to go get my people. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go get the people. In Exodus 3.15, God says, Moses, go get the people, and I will always be with you. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go get people, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. It's the same God. The same God. God's all about going and getting people. God's all about going and getting people. It's the same mission, hundreds of years apart from each other, but the same mission. God has not changed. He's all about going and getting people. And we see this in a parable. I'm just kind of all over the place, and I'm trying to speak as fast as I can because i got a lot of stuff to tell you, and I only get up here about once every three years. So i got to get this out. (laughs) So you may think, wow, you're like way ADHD kind of deal. And I agree with you. <laughs> but J- Jesus tells a story. It's the great feast story. And he's saying, hey, we're going to have this party. We're gonna, and I want you to go and I want you to invite everybody that you can to come to my house. And we're going to have, have In-N-Out Burger, animal style. And we're going to have the Motherlode chocolate cake. Now, if you're a chocolate lover, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Motherlode chocolate cake from Claim Jumper. And we're going to have pumpkin spice lattes in red cups. So I want you to go out and I want you to invite as many people as you can to come to my house. 
And so the servants went out and they, they start inviting everybody. They're like, hey, guess what? Guess what? The master, he's going to have a big party and we're going to have In-N-Out Burger and we're going to have Motherload Cake and we're going to have pumpkin spice, all this good stuff. Come to the house, come to the house. And they start making excuses. But that's no different than today. Hey, why don't you come to church with us? Why don't you come hang? You know, Sunday's the only day that I can sleep in. Why don't you come and, and worship with us? Come to church with us. Have you seen the weather here in November? I'm getting out on the water. <laughs> I'm not going to go sit in some stuffy old church. Hey, why don't you get the kids up and bring them to church? You know how hard it is to get up kids and get them to church on time? We just can't ever seem to make it on time. But we'll get them to school on time. We make those same excuses today. And so they go back, the servants go back and they tell the master, hey, nobody wants to come. Nobody wants in and out Nobody wants pumpkin spice lattes. And the master says, then I want you to go to the country lanes behind the hedges and I want you to compel and get anyone you can to come to my house so that my house can be full. Listen, Crosspoint, God wants this place packed out way more then you want it packed out. So what's the problem? God wants to see this place packed out way more than we want to see it packed out. So what's the problem? And you might be thinking, oh no, we got this pastor and he's all about the numbers. He wants, he wants those numbers. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I do want those numbers because every single number represents a soul that Jesus shed his blood for and died for. I am about the numbers, and I will always be about the numbers because Jesus died for those people. You know what a number represents? A number represents your, your lost spouse, your wayward, wayward kid, your classmate, your teammate, your aunt, your uncle, your neighbor, your friend. That's what a number represents. You see, when you get like this, when you kind of don't care about certain things and you start caring about the things that God cares about, you start caring about those people that God care about, it kind of messes up your world. It just messes everything up. And, and let me tell you real quick, just a little bit about me so you can kind of see where I'm coming from. I was born crippled, the 10th of 11 children. And we were to say that we were an unhappy home, is to, to, to be kind. But we were an unhappy home. And by age seven, I attempted to take my own life for the first time. By age nine, I had already attempted three times. I was virtually abandoned at age 14. And I started drinking shortly after that. I started doing drugs on my 15th birthday, and I was a mess. I got kicked out of the two of the three high schools that I went to. In my 20s, I would wake up in my car from the previous night of partying. The worst was when I woke up on my doorstep covered in my own vomit in the morning dew. A lot of you didn't know that about me. But I had to get my life together. I had to pull my life together. And I had a pretty good job. I worked for GTE. Who would have thought that I'd be praising GTE and thinking GTE because Verizon took over? And let me tell you. GT was a great place to work. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had a great job. I, was, I, I met my wife there. My wife was my boss. 
She still kind of thinks maybe sometimes she is. <laughs> but that's okay. It works for us. Things are good. <laughs> I didn't tell her I was going to do that. <clears throat> um, then I met Jesus. And Jesus radically changed my life. We were expecting our daughter, the bassist up here on the stage. We were expecting our daughter. And two weeks before she was born, Jesus came into my life. And he changed my life. I was in the communication field, as you know. And God called me into full-time ministry. And I went to Bible college. I was the college pastor here at the church. I was working full-time going to school full-time, raising two small kids, and doing the college group all at the same time. In the summer of 2002, I went into full-time ministry, and I was enjoying life in ministry. Things were great. I love this place. I love all of you guys. This place is a great place to be. But then God had got a hold of me, and he changed my life forever. Tomorrow marks the four-year anniversary. I cannot believe it's been four years. The four-year anniversary when I stepped off our front porch about this high and broke my leg in three places. Tomorrow makes that four-year anniversary. The worst, absolute worst thing that's ever happened to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing. Let me explain. I was doing great in ministry. Life was good. It was good. But I didn't care much about the things that God cared about. You see, God is way more concerned about the lost than he is about the found. Let me repeat that. God is way more concerned about the lost than he is about the found. And some of you might be offended by that. You might be thinking, well, what about me? I'm a believer now. What about me? But I didn't say this. Jesus did. In Luke 15, he says, I am way more concerned about the lost than I am about the found. You know the stories of the lost, the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. And he says, I'm going to leave it all so I can go after those things that are lost. And he left it all. We need to think like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus. We need to be way more concerned about those who aren't in this church than those who are. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love you and we don't care about you and we don't, we don't want you to be part of this family. I look at it this way. I'm the 10th of 11 kids. I keep in contact on a regular basis with two of my brothers who happen to be sitting in here today. I keep in contact with those two. That leaves, let me think, eight other people that I don't ever see. I rarely talk to and stuff. This is my family right here. You guys are my family. These are the people I'm closest to that are sitting in this room and those that will be in here at 1030. And we need to be way more concerned about going after those people who are lost than the ones that are already here. And I need to really pick up the pace. You see, once you give your life to Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He threw a party for you. The Bible tells us that. He throws a party. He accepts you into the family. You're now one of the people. You're now one of his children. He pulls you aside and he says, good job, good job. Now, let's talk about the game plan here. Let's, let's, Let's talk about this. 
I need you to now go. I need you to go, and I need you to go after those people. It's no longer about you. You're now part of the family. Family. You're now part of the family. It's no longer about us. When I, when I say you, I'm including myself in that you. But we're wine, and we'll complain. And I'm the king. You can ask my wife. I am the king of whining and complaining. You may see a smile on me, but I may be whining and complaining on the inside. And we'll whine and we'll complain. And we say, what about my discipleship? What about my growth? What about me? But you know, my Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. That they learned it themselves. In this church, we create opportunities for you to get involved. We're talking about the story. We have small groups. We have Sunday groups. We have all these different things that you guys can come and be involved in. We have serving opportunities like crazy. You can get involved. You can grow. You can learn to be what God wants you to be. But if all you do is come here on a Sunday and and have the pastor regurgitate that word to you, you're never you're going to be malnourished the rest of your life. We need to learn to feed ourselves and we need to grow. And we also need to use those gifts that God has given us. We're looking for hosts. You like to open up your house, you like to entertain, you should be a host. You're, you like to organize things, you like to lead things, you should be involved in, in leading a group. You like, you're a teacher, you like to teach people and get excited about seeing people grow and learn new things, you need to be a leader. So we need you guys to sign up for that. And guess what? There's all kinds of opportunities in children's ministry. <laughs> We're moving into our new classroom, Lord willing, please God. Next Sunday, we'll be in our new classroom, which is upstairs on the second floor of this two-story building. And a, and a lot of people have been working really hard. Cecil Maxey, for sure, has been working really hard. And Paul Bleck, Becklin and, and Cliff Rustad have been working really hard to pull that room together. And if you're a teacher, we could use your help. And we'd love to have you. But as a believer, God wants us to use our gifts. He wants us to, to use those things, those talents that he's given us. But we need to get way more concerned about those who don't know Jesus than those that do. And when we do that, it's going to turn everything upside down. Because when we go after the lost, it messes everything up. You know, when I, when I learned that this is what God really wants me to start focusing on, he wants me to start focusing on those people that don't know him, start, start caring about lost people. I sat at the signal at Magnolia and Talbert weeping, just weeping, and I'm like, what is going on? I have no idea. And I saw all these people just passing by, and I'm like, how many of those people are dying and going to hell? And if Bruce's statistics are right, 92% of them are dying and going to hell. And I started weeping. So I started looking, how can I reach lost people? And I went to Bible studies. And I've sat in Bible studies (laughs) that are reaching prostitutes, that are reaching drug dealers. There was a girl that came in that just shot heroin. And she's sitting across from me. And she wants to know who Jesus Christ is. It's amazing. It's amazing. There's so many people out there that are looking for hope. There's so many people out there that want to know that tomorrow's going to be a better day. 
There's so many people out there that need to know that Jesus died on a cross for their sins. He's not just a symbol. He's not a baby laying in a manger. He's the Savior. And they need to know that. And we know that. But, you know, I found through all of this, so many people want to just hold on to their religion. They want to hold on to this is the way we've always done it. And if we change anything, then I don't feel like I'm worshiping God. We got to let that go. We got to be able to reach people for Jesus. And you might be sitting there and you're thinking, I'm good. Guess what? Let me tell you, you're messed up too. (laughs) We're all messed up. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace who are looking for other people so that they can understand God's grace. And God wants us to go after the people. You know what the division in the church is today? It's not about the people that are coming into the church. It's about those and their preference. They don't sing my songs. Where's the Christmas garland? Come on now. We've been putting it up for 35 years. Where's the Christmas garland? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know some of you thought that. (laughs) You know, this is my church. You're sitting in my seat. What are you doing in my parking spot? You know? Do you know how much money I've given to this church? Big deal. If God needs your money, if you think God needs your money, guess what God will do? He'll beat you up and take your money. (laughs) God don't need your money. You know what God wants? God wants your heart. God wants a cheerful giver. God wants somebody who's going to honor him. But it's about our preference. They don't sing my songs. The, the pastor the pastor's dressed too casual. The pastor's not dressed casual enough. He can't win. <laughs> he just can't win. In the first service, he's, he's not dressed up en- enough. In the second service, pastor, you should be wearing flip-flops and shorts. I mean, it, it's just... So clearly, pastor's a sinner, right? Because <laughs> he's not doing what, what we think he should do. But you know what the number one question that people ask when they're invited to church? What do I have to wear? It doesn't matter what they wear. Who cares what they wear? Who cares? What's important is that they're sitting in a seat and the word of God is speaking to their heart. The word of God is changing their life. That's what matters. We don't care what you wear. Just come and hear what God has to say. We don't want to be that church that offends people. Now, before you throw rocks at me, Let me explain what that means. We don't want to be that church that offends people. We're going to be way more concerned about those who don't attend this church than those who are attending this church. doesn't mean that we don't love you. doesn't mean that we don't care about you. You're the family. We care about you. We put you in high regard because we love you. We care about you. But you know what's crazy? In Luke 15, 1, Jesus says sinners flock to Jesus. Sinners flock to Jesus. Are sinners flocking to our church who's supposed to be representing Jesus? Think about that. This doesn't mean that we don't care about you or that we don't love you. We create opportunity for all of us to be involved. And if people are going to get offended, let them get offended because our pastor opens God's infallible word And it's the word of God that pricked their heart, not what we think or say to them. Let that be what offends them. 
Why was the master so concerned about his house being full? Why did he care so much? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is the everlasting father. God is an eternal God, and you're a God's creation. You were created to live for eternity. You're the only thing that was created to live for eternity. It's you. The Bible's clear. You'll spend eternity in one of two places, a place called heaven or a place called hell, a place with with eternal life or a place with eternal death and suffering and pain. You were created to live in one of those two places. And this isn't to scare anybody. This is good news. This is the hope. The Bible tells us that there's going to come a day, and it gives us a picture of Jesus as a shepherd. And it says he's going to take the sheep, those who put their faith and trust and follow him, and and he's going to take those sheep, and he's going to be like, come on, sheep, come to my right side. So we're looking at 8%. Okay? 8%. Now, 92% of you, the goats... I want you to come and be on my left-hand side here. And then he's going to take the sheep, and he's going to keep the sheep with him, and he's going to take them to heaven. And then the goats, the 92%, he's going to take and cast into the lake of fire. You know how you know if you know Jesus? When you accept Jesus, it radically alters and changes your life the way you act, the way you think, the way, the way that you behave. You're a better husband. You're a better mother. You're a better father. You're, you're a better employee. You're a better child. You think differently. I believed I would go to heaven. I thought if I was just good enough, I grew up in religion. I thought if you're just good enough, God will certainly let you in. But that's not what God says. That's not what the Bible says. When I accepted Jesus into my heart, I was 27 years old. I was 27 years old. I had lived a lot of life. I had lived a lot of life. I gave you a very quick Reader's Digest, Reader's Digest version of my life. And I lived a very quick, I lived a crazy, crazy life. But when I asked Jesus to come into my life, it radically altered and changed everything about me. Did I still make mistakes? All the time. Do I still make mistakes? Uh, more than I ever want to. But the Bible tells us that if, if you were to die knowing Jesus, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus. But if you were to die not knowing Jesus, that you, you're going to be t- taken and you're going you're to be put in a place called Hades. Revelation 20 says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence and they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened. We don't know what books he's talking about. I'm I'm only guessing it's going to be the book of God, you know, the Bible. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. Now, when it says the grave, in the original writing in Greek, it's talking about Hades. So saying all those people that are in Hades are given up, and they're all adjudged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of the fire, and the lake of fire is the second death, and that's what we know as hell to be. All those right now waiting in this place called Hades are evangelists. They're all hollering out. We see this in the book of Lazarus, or in the story of Lazarus. They're all hollering out, 
please go tell my mom, tell my dad, tell my brother, tell my sister, tell my neighbor, tell my coworker, so that they don't have to come here because we have hope. We have hope. Tell them. But the sad thing is it's too late for them. There is no second chance. We were created to live forever in one of two places, a place called heaven or a place called hell. It's not to scare you. And don't be upset if you're sitting in here and you're, and you're like, wow, I don't know God, and God's calling me lost? Really? You're not lost spaciously. God knows exactly where you're at. You're lost relationally with God. You're lost relationally, but it's the lost thing that he valued the most. He left it all to go after that one thing that was lost. Don't be offended that God called you that. You're of value to him. Jesus is saying, I value you and I want you. That is our hope. I'm going to ask everyone in here to bow your heads. Let me just start off by saying that God loves you. God values every person in here from all of his children, those who have put their faith and trust in him, to everyone in here that doesn't know him yet. Church, I'm speaking to the church, those who have put their faith and trust in God. God has set us up to do great things. We have a beautiful campus in Huntington Beach, California. And after 50 years, we're ready to rock and roll this community, and we're ready to change lives. And we have a staff that's on board with reaching people. Will you join us? And maybe you're here today and you realize that you really don't know God. And you've been playing church really, really well. And you've fooled your wife. You've fooled your kids. You've fooled your, your pastor. But the thing is, you can't fool God. You may have walked an aisle or raised your hand, been baptized even. Maybe you filled out a card saying, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior, but in your heart you know you don't belong to him. I'm going to ask everyone in here to examine their hearts. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Do you know Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? And have you turned to him? Is God calling? Is God speaking to your heart and saying, I value you? And I want you. I have a purpose. I have a plan for you. If that's you, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. And we're going to ask you to be bold. We're going to ask you to, to show everyone in this room that you want that relationship with God. You're tired of living your life the way that you're, you've been living your life. And I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I will meet you here. And there's other pastors in here. There's deacons in here. There's the prayer team in here. And we'll meet you down front. And we'll help you in that new journey that, you've, that you want with Jesus. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your life. You're having a problem. You're having a trial. And you just don't know what to do next. And you want someone to pray for you. We want you to come down when we sing that song too. We want you to come forward. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for you today. God, we want to pray for every child of yours in here. I pray, God, that today would be 
a day that they get more concerned, that all of us get more concerned about those that don't know you than those that do. I want to pray that hearts and minds would be open to your spirit to lead and that we would follow. And then, Lord, I pray for those here that you value the most. I pray for those hearts, those souls in here that don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would turn, that they would turn to you and repent of their sin. God, your word tells us that that's what keeps us separated from you. We also know, God, that it was our sin that hung Jesus on that cross. And today we turn from that sin and we give our hearts to you to follow you today and to live by faith from this day forward. Jesus, we love you. And we give you this time so that you can show your power today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.